Welcome to Across the Line. On this Football Friday, we've got Nikki Ingress on the show. He's a practicing attorney here in the Philippines who specializes in sports law and taxation. He's also a professor and author, and today he shares his knowledge with us. Uh, we get a chance to touch on some scandals that have plagued Philippine football as of late, as well as the debate between amateurism and pro sports and, hope, and what kind of bridge uh, could be made to facilitate sort of players going back and forth between amateur leagues and professional leagues. We also talk about what players need to watch out for when they jump into the pro leagues. Uh, I think it was a fantastic conversation. I certainly enjoyed it. And it, I feel as if it would be a great benefit to individuals who are looking to get themselves into the world of sports, especially here in the Philippines. So without further ado, here is Mickey Gless. If you enjoy this conversation, please do subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts, and look for Across the Line on social media as well. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Here we go, my conversation with Mickey Gless. It's not often we get individuals of the law here on Across the Line, but today we've got a special treat because we've got Nikki Ingles on Across the Line today. Uh, you know, we don't get an opportunity to talk much about the law, but today we get the chance to um, focus in on sports law specifically. I'm pretty sure we're not gonna talk about taxation on this episode, but uh, we have a man who has plenty of experience um, specializing in the world of sports law. He is also a professor and author. Mickey, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Jim. Uh, of course, it's, it's pretty cool that we'll get to talk about sports law. I, I love talking about sports law, so it's an honor to be here. Uh, that's awesome because I don't know too much about sports law, so I presume I will be learning a lot on this episode and everybody <laughs> who will be tuning in will as well. Now, uh, you're, the reason why you're here on Across the Line, of course, is there's got to be a connection to football, right? It's not just sports law <laughs> enough to get you on the show. You have to be a passionate football man, and that's exactly what you are. Um, you got quite the collegiate career under your belt. Um, how long have you been a, 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 a fan of football? Oof. Well, I started playing football when I was, I think, three years old or four years old. So since then, I've been a, a super fan of football. Love playing football. I miss playing football. Super miss it because of the pandemic. I haven't been able to play with other people in like exactly like a year. I think the last time I played was February 2020. And now I'm kind of regretting not playing more because I kind of miss it. So it's like you take it for granted, right? So, but, oh, well, it is what it is. I feel like a lot of people are in that same boat, you know, nah, I'll pass, I'll pass, there's next week, uh, and then we'll add that, right? Your college career was pretty um, noteworthy, if that's an understated way of putting it, uh, three-time champion, uh, two of those years, you yes. were MVP, uh, sorry, you were captain of Ateneo. Did you yes. win any MVPs as well? I'm not sure. No, no MVPs. Um, the MVPs were all won by our teammate, Patrick Ozaita. So he, he was our like center back, mm. solid center back. Every year that we won the championship, no, two years of the three championships, he was the MVP. He should have been the MVP when we won our first, but he was a rookie then. So maybe mm. that they, they counted that against him, but he was rookie of the year. 
so three years as champion. Um, normally, when you have so such accolades in the collegiate game, you're thinking about the professional game. But at that time, was there really an option for you to go pro? No, there was no option at that time. So what happened after college, I, I moved to China for a year uh, to study Chinese, um, but I'm not that good at Chinese anymore. I, I played in a league there called the Shanghai International Football League. It was a pretty high-level league, so I was playing with expats. And it was very competitive that we, that like our team, um, so I was playing with mostly Italians, but they got this recruit from Uruguay who played in the third division in Uruguay. So it was a pretty competitive league. Oh, wow. So I played there for like four or five games before I, I decided to stop playing because it was, the venue was pretty far. When I came back, um, I started playing in the UFL with Loyola FC. And I played in Loyola FC for three or four years before it got too busy with, I got too busy with law school. And exactly, exactly at the point where I was getting super busy with law school, Loyola tied in with Miralco. Mm. And so the young husbands came in and practices were getting too serious. So at that point, I decided to play in the second team of Loyola. At the time, it was called Leola Aguila. And from there, um, I played like two or three more years. But once the PFL started, I wasn't playing anymore. I would just do like um, alumni league in Ateneo or just like pick up games because my schedule just wouldn't allow like like real intense practices and schedules anymore. So when you got into law, um, what year was this? Um, shortly after your playing career? That was, um, I, my, I got into law 2008. Was that always something that yeah. you wanted to do growing up? Well, it, it was a default because my, my dad's a lawyer. Mm. So it was something that I knew I would eventually get into. So I graduated at Ateneo after our third championship. That was in 2006. Um, I was in um, Shanghai until 2007. Came back. I, I tried playing with Ateneo team again. Um, but I wasn't eligible anymore because I enrolled late. So I was just helping the team out as like a, a practice player, helping out like a, a de facto assistant coach. And then I entered law school in 2008. Uh, I remember that because in 2000, late 2009, early 2010, that was when the Ascals started like yeah. becoming super popular because of the Suzuki Cup. And more sponsors started coming into the UFL and things got in even more competitive. So that was a fun time because everything was just starting off and the competition was high and I could still play in a high competitive level. So those, those were good years for me. Uh, but these days it's full attorney work that, that, that takes up your time and, and, and being a professor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my days are normally, um, I start my day off by doing law work. Like most mornings occupied by law firm work, representing clients, helping clients out. And then afternoons, uh, that's when I, when I teach in the Ateneo Law School. But now because of the pandemic, everything's just online. So I'm having um, challenges like keeping boundaries from switching from law firm work to law professor work, then to my writing and then family time. But I mean, I, I've been used to all this, like wearing a lot of hats. Mm. So it's been, it's been a fun challenge to tackle. So I, I reckon you got into sports law because of your sporting background. Uh, is that correct? Is that yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. 
So tell yeah, me a little yeah, bit definitely. about sports law here in the country. Like, um, what's the landscape like uh, of sports law? Is it um, something that's established? Is it busy? Uh, what's it like here in the Philippines? Uh, well, we start off with the definition of sports law because a lot of people, when, when I tell them that I practice sports law, they always say, like, is that really a thing? Mm. Um, what's that about? I always tell them, like, sports law is made out of three things. The first is the application of, like, current laws and legal doctrines to sports. So even if a law does not have anything to do with sports, it can apply to sports. So like contract law, right? Mm-hmm. That will apply to professional sports contracts, endorsement deals of athletes. And when I was in law school, one of my, my, my thesis for my Juris Doctor degree was actually about um, sports torts. So my question there was, if you get injured in a football game, can you sue the guy who injured you during the game? Um, so the inspiration for this actually happened to one of my, my teammates. We had a tryout back in 2005. We were playing San Beda. He was, the goal, he was our goalkeeper. Um, there was a loose ball. He picked it up. Um, he, he, I think he dove for it. And then one San Beda player continued his run and slide tackled him, even when he was holding the ball. The knee of the San Beda player crashed into his, his jaw. So it, his jaw started... Um, started bleeding. We found out that he broke his jaw in like two or three places. And the question there was, can you sue the guy who, who did it to you? Um, under legal doctrines, normally you can't sue the guy during a game because there's this thing called the assumption of risk that if you play a sport, you assume that you're going to get injured because it's part of the game, right? So my thesis tackled answering the question, so when can you sue? And the answer there is, um, it's actually established by American case law, you can sue if that person, the one who injures you, does it intentionally, like someone like punches you during a soccer game because that's not part of the game. And number two, if the other person's actions are reckless and it violates a safety rule or it disregards your safety. Um, an example for this, what happened in, in the, in the, foot, in the um, example I told you, it was reckless because we all know that once a goalkeeper holds the ball, you're no longer allowed to hit the goalkeeper, right? right. And if you do, it's a violation of a safety rule. So if you go back in time and I, and I counsel like the goalkeeper of Ateneo at that time who was trying out, I would tell him, yeah, you can sue the guy who hit you, who, who broke your job because it wasn't slide tackling a goalkeeper who has control of the ball already. It's not part of football, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not even allowed by, by, it's a straight red card if you do that. So that's, that's an example of sports law. Uh, a second aspect of sports law are sports-specific legislation, meaning... These are laws crafted by Congress, which focus solely on, on sports. Uh, there are two examples I always give. Number one is a Student Athlete Protection Act, which tries to protect student athletes or collegiate student athletes from being overly commercialized. And the other one is the National Athletes, Coaches, Benefits, and Incentives Act, which gives uh, monetary incentives. So like our SEA Games medalists, it's also the law that grants like national athletes and coaches 20% discounts when they go to restaurants or when they order like grab food. So they get 20% discounts. What? Not a lot I of people knew. know about it, but I never knew that. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so that's um, well, it, the law has been around for a couple of years, but they only started implementing it like seriously um, just this year, start of 2020, because some SEA Games athletes, when we talk to them, we always tell them, hey, you should get a 20% discount because you're a national athlete. Yeah. And they were saying, what? We've been, we've been trying, but every time I go to like a restaurant, 
they just treat me like I'm crazy because they don't know about it. So we we kind of did like a information campaign trying to teach people about it and media picked it up and because I think because of media pressure the BAR finally came out with rules on how to implement the 20% discount. So if you're a national athlete, you get that 20% discount. Um, an example here is like Starbucks actually gives a 20% discount for national athletes, as long as you show your national athlete card. Uh, the third aspect of sports law, these are the rules and regulations of um, international sports federations like FIFA. So these aren't really laws, but these rules have the force of law when it comes to players, when it comes to coaches. Um, this is a fun aspect of sports law because um, you're, you're really studying the, the internal rules and regulations of an international federation. So you're, you're, when it comes to this, you'll be talking about FIFA rules, FIFA transfer rules. Uh, you'll be talking about doping when it comes to the uh, World Anti-Doping Agency Code. So there, so th- that's, that's, that's sports law in general. The landscape here though in the Philippines, it's, it's not that established yet mm-hmm. as compared to like, um, like the US or like in Europe. Um, I've met an, a lot of lawyers in, in different jurisdictions where their practice is solely fueled and monetized by, by sports law. Like in uh, one of the conferences I went to last year in, in London, I met, a, I met a Spanish lawyer and all his law firm does is just do football transfers, right? It's all football. And it's so super interesting because if you look at the FIFA rules, it's like a, a whole different ball game when it comes to legal stuff. And my dream is to actually have a practice that will survive solely on sports law. But here in the Philippines, it's not a lot of people know about it. Not a lot of athletes know their rights and obligations. Not a lot of um, um, stakeholders, when, which involve a lot of money, don't know that there are legal aspects when it comes to sports. So my practice mostly is still corporate law, labor law, tax law, but I'm building the sports law. And there are some days where all the things I do are just sports law, which I find really fun. But I want everything to be sports law. Wow, tremendous. Um, three things. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I want to know, did your friend actually sue the goalkeeper? Did he go through with it, with uh, his case of potentially filing suit with the guy who, who slide tackled him? No, I didn't sue. He didn't? No, oh. he didn't sue. What oh. happened... What... Go ahead. No, he didn't sue. What he did was, I think, I think, I think we, got, we, we complained. We complained to... I'm not sure if they complained to the PFF. But Ateneo decided that if ever that guy, the guy who injured my teammate, comes back to play in Ateneo, we would walk out of the game. Mm. So the epilogue there was a few few months later, we played San Beda again. And the coach of San Beda decided to put the guy in. Mm. And we were leading, I think, 1-0 or 2-0. It was like a practice game or something. No, I think it was an official official game, but not a UAAP game or NCAA game, like a preseason game. Once they put him in, we, we just walked out. <laughs> so that was how we, we dealt with that situation, yeah. That guy got sent off during that match, though, when the incident happened, at least? Yeah, I think, yeah, he got sent off. <laughs> okay. I think, I think, yeah. Secondly, uh, your, your, your quote or your, the trivia that you provided on um, 
national athlete discounts has made this episode worth it for any athletes who have tuned in to this episode already. <laughs> Get your 20%, guys. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot. The third thing that I wanted to ask was, so if the sports law sort of environment in the Philippines is still somewhat in its infancy, um, when you do tackle uh, sports cases, what do you find as the most common sort of issues uh, that you face? Ooh, um, most common so far are issues of, of teams, of well, players with their teams. Um, like um, players who are under contract with their teams and then the team suddenly decide we don't want you anymore mm. um, because um, you don't longer fit with the team system. So that's, that's been an issue so far because the whole... Um, the whole regime of how you think about a player with his team internationally is that a player is an employee of the team, right? right? And under labor law, if you're an employee of your employer, you have certain rights. And one of these rights is security of tenure. You can only be removed by your team for just or authorized causes. So what's a just cause? For example, you you commit a crime against your employer. You, You can get fired for that or habitual neglect of your duty, gross habitual neglect of your duty. So the law enumerates only certain portions or certain reasons why you can get terminated. But there are a lot of players here in the Philippines um, when it comes to different professional sports, they are just terminated, um, even if their contract is still existing. And normally what the teams say is that um, you are no longer good enough to play for us, right? That's always their excuse. The thing is, even FIFA does not allow that because under FIFA, you always have those just causes. And it's not a sporting just cause if you are no longer, um, if you are no longer, what do you call, if you no longer have the skills to, that your coach wants you to do, right? Or, or the talents to have, or you're no longer as, as fit, right? Or basically, if you no longer play that well, the, the coach can't remove you from the team. Right? There are other options. He can put you on loan or he can transfer your contract, but he can't terminate your contract because that mm-hmm. that's, goes against the law. Right? So we, ha- we, have, we have one pending case for that. It's now with the Court of Appeals. It used to be a, a, it's a player who, who got caught, cut by his team. Other issues would be like um, a team suddenly folding up and then leaving players uh, with, with contracts that they can't enforce. Oh, that's right. we, we saw that. Yeah, it sounds very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we have actually a couple of cases with FIFA on that on that um, issue alone. So we're, we're representing two of the, the players who were given contracts. They signed the contracts. They had the expectation that they were going to come to the Philippines to play for them. And then things started becoming weird. They were not being paid. Uh, they were suddenly being ghosted. And then they were being um, shuffled around. Like, you talk to this person. We're no longer in charge of this one, blah, blah, blah. So we filed a couple of cases, not with our local courts. We filed it with FIFA itself because that's allowed under FIFA rules. That's what I was telling you about. That you have to follow the rules of FIFA. Mm. And one of the cases we won. Right. Uh, the problem here is actually enforcing it because that certain team hasn't been um, hasn't even been replying to any of any of our letters so far. They haven't been replying to the judgment of FIFA. 
which was telling them you have to pay a certain amount of money. So that's a challenge there. But mostly those are the issues that we deal with. Other issues like endorsement deals, contracts. Um, I do a lot of contract reviews for athletes here in the Philippines and athletes who go abroad, helping them be protected with contracts with their teams or with their agents. It's fine. I like it. And, and what do you find as the, the busiest sport that you deal with? Basketball, volleyball, football? Right now, basketball. 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 As expected. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> going a little bit, going back to that little situation with the club who did not pay the, their, um, what they promised certain players to who were going to arrive in the country, right? You file the suit in FIFA, you win this, you, I mean, you file the case in FIFA, you win that case, and you said you had issues with the enforcement, right? So at, yeah. at, at this point, then what, what, what avenues do you have to explore or do you have present for you in order to make sure that, you know, a person is compensated the way they should have been? Well, our options now are bringing the case or at least enforcing the judgment of FIFA in local courts. Mm. But of course, that's going to cost money, right? Um, The thing with our case in FIFA, because um, it's an employment contract case between an international player with a local team under FIFA rules, you don't have to pay any costs if you want to file a case. Um, so there were no costs. Um, we were doing it in a way that the, our clients would not have to put out or shell out money up front. Um, so there was nothing, I mean, for them to lose, right? But once we start trying to enforce it in local courts, then there will be money out because we'll have to file, pay filing fees with the local courts. So that's the problem that we're trying to wrap ourselves around. Um, because uh, the thing is, if this local team suddenly just absconds or leaves the country and it has it no longer has any assets it's going to be hard for us to start going against the individuals right who own the team so that's the problem there so yeah sure we won in fifa it's good because at least it's there in the records that this certain team treats their players this way um but the thing is it's going to be um, well, not really impossible, but it's going to be, there'll be a lot of hard work that we will have to entail or have to do to actually get that money. Right. right. So that's a different, that's a different issue there. Very interesting. So that's going to be a huge like warning for everyone um, looking to deal with, with football clubs. You got to make sure that they are legitimate yeah. and they have the capability to serve to fulfill the promises that they've, they've thrown out there because everything sounds good, but it's out on social media and it's back with posters and such, but you got to make sure that yeah. you do your due diligence. I suppose that's the lesson there. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Now you mentioned something earlier about um, laws that are specific to sport. And you mentioned that there is a student athlete um, law protection law. Is that correct? Something about the yeah. over commercialization yeah. of student athletes. Now um, this is uh, quite an interesting sort of dynamic, especially with the football landscape with regards to collegiate athletes looking to dip their toes into the professional um, stage, right? The PFL has um, sort of not matured to a level where collegiate athletes won't have the opportunity to express themselves, if that makes sense. So the level Mm -hmm. of quality is still there for them to be able to get lots of benefits from testing themselves and training alongside some of the best athletes out there. But once they dip their toes into the professional game, there's no going back 
to their yeah. use AP um, life, yeah. right? Which is extremely unfortunate, especially when you're trying to earn yourself a good education. So what are your thoughts on, on this sort of dynamic? And is there some sort of middle ground possible to be found here where you can really maximize the benefit of the player's development while at the same time not throwing away a, a potential good education if things don't pan out in professional sport? Yeah, well, I understand the struggle there. I understand that some college players really want to play in the PFL because of the high level. And I understand that if they do play there, it's going to be helpful to their teams, uh, their school teams, because their level is just going to get higher. Mm. But I also understand the, the, the side of the UAAP, the side of the NCAA, and why they make these certain rules that if you go pro, you're no longer um, eligible to play in the amateur level and the um, student athlete. Um, student athlete level the thing is there the law the student athlete protection act actually doesn't cover that situation mm. it actually gives the it gives athletic associations like the UAP the NCAA um, free reign to do whatever they want when it comes to eligibility so the student athlete protection act covers just two things right number one the, the kinds of benefits that schools can give these athletes when it comes to recruitment like um, you can give them uniforms, you can give them lodging, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that it tries to control like athletes, student athletes switching from one school to another by, by, by imposing like a maximum of one year residency if you switch from one school to another. Right. That's all it does. It doesn't say anything about um, turning pro and its effect on your amateur, amateur status. So that's still, um, it's still up to the athletic associations. And like I said a while ago, I understand the, the dilemma athletic associations are in because, again, they want the student athletes to play in a manner which is pure and which is for the school. And the whole thinking of society is once you're given money, it's no longer pure. I mean, that's something that's debatable, right? I mean, it doesn't mean that it's no longer pure just because you get money out of it. Um, but it's a situation which is, I mean, we can learn from what they do in the States. Um, and what they don't do, like in the States, they're too strict when it comes to NCAA rules. So there, you can't even get like an endorsement deal, right? Mm. So the issues now in the States is, because here, like if you're a student athlete, you make your money um, with your endorsement deals. And right. like some student athletes get more endorsements than, than the pros. If you're a student athlete in the States, you get an endorsement deal, you're no longer eligible to play for your school. So that was the, that was the rule before. But they were, they're, they're trying to open up now in the States. And maybe we can learn from that. Like, I remember for NCAA rules, at least when it comes to hockey, um, men's hockey, if you, you're allowed to get drafted by a pro team, and I think you're allowed to work out with a pro team and still play in the NCAA, not lose your eligibility. So maybe something can be worked out with the UAP that way. Like, if you play in the PFL in the offseason, then what stop you should still be allowed to play for them. I mean, for your school team during the, what do you call it? During the, your off season with the, with the pro league. When I was in UAP, I think that was the rule. Mm. You can play all you want um, during the off season, but once UAP starts or once the semester starts, you, you can't be in the lineup of an, any commercial team. And I think that's a good, a, a good, a good balance. Right. But again, I mean, it's up to the athletic associations, what they want to do. Right. Um, I, I believe during the UFL times, it was, it was pretty prolific 
uh, crossover players who would play in the UAAP during the season and then they would be off the, the, the professional roster for the time being and then they would be re-added onto the roster once the UAAP was over. And yeah, that was a huge benefit. I, I saw a lot of players who, who jumped a few levels very, very quickly yeah. and you would see them go back to UAAP and look like men against boys. And, yeah. um, and that's sort of where my personal view or opinion stands there is that um, the previous highest level of, of, of football was the UAP or the NCAA. But once this new level was opened up, you could see that the discrepancy was a little bit too big. So then, you know, we're losing out on the potentiality of grooming a potential star at 17 or 16 and really giving him yeah, a taste of that level yeah, up so that he could, you know, boost his trajectory. Um, so I'm hoping somewhere down the road that there's going to be some sort of reasonable discourse about this situation and not just about, you know, trying to take advantage of one another um, in this yeah. regard, you know, <laughs> uh, and hopefully cooler heads will prevail down the road. Yeah, I agree. There's always middle ground. As long yeah. as you try to be creative in solving the, the problem, there's always middle ground. Hopefully they find that middle ground. Um, so when you look at the future of Philippine sports at the moment, um, you, you mentioned that the sort of cases and issues that you're dealing with now, do you, do you foresee that changing down the road as sort of sports law becomes a, a more prevalent subject matter? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I, always, I always tell people that if you want to improve sports in the Philippines, one of the foundations you have to build on is law. Right? Just like with anything, if you want to improve banking in the Philippines or the stock market, securities, if you want to improve a certain industry, you have to make sure the foundation in law is, is, is stable. So I think once people start realizing the importance of applying laws in the context of sports and applying it properly, you will have a firm foundation for sports. And if you have a firm foundation for sports in law, then sports can grow. Right, because you no longer have to worry about someone suing you, or you have you don't have to worry about a contract being defective because it doesn't comply with, for example, with FIFA rules or like FIBA rules. And if you don't have that to worry about that, you can worry about other things like making a business out of sports, right? So hopefully in the future, these little problems, um, well, it's called I consider them little now, but they're actually big problems. They're little because it seems so backwards compared to other jurisdictions. Mm. For example, um, here in the Philippines, there's still an issue whether a professional athlete is an employee of his team, right? What are they considered as normally, as third-party contractors? Independent contractors. contractors. Yeah, independent contractors, which is, um, I think they're considered this because there's this one case that the Supreme Court decided in in 2003 or 2004, involving Jay Sonza. He's a radio broadcaster. And the Supreme Court said there, because of his talents and because of his high pay, because of his celebrity status, he was not an employee of ABS-CBN. He was an independent contractor. And I think sports industries have used that case to say, look, I'm getting you because you're a football superstar. I'm giving you a high amount of money. I'm using your celebrity status. I'm using your skills and talents. And because I'm doing all of that, I'm going to equate you to an independent contractor. But the, the problem is, if you read that Sonza case, the Supreme Court actually said that uh, those aspects, th- those factors which I mentioned, were not conclusive. 
were not conclusive indication indicators to show that a person is an independent contractor. These are merely badges of them of the relationship. And there are a lot of ways that you can argue against it. For example, if you say that a person is an independent contractor merely because of his unique talents, then a CEO will never be an employee, right? right? Or a president of a company or um, a secretary who's super good in like typing, right? <laughs> and these are all employees, right? And when it comes to wages, these people always say, yeah, it's a high wage, therefore you're an independent contractor. It's not the case because like, Lionel Messi, he's an employee of FC Barcelona. LeBron James is an employee of, of the Lakers. They have exorbitant amount of wages, but they're still considered employees of the team. And here in the Philippines, it's still an issue. Some teams, like I, I, I advise some teams and they tell me, yeah, we'll just consider them independent contractors because it'll be easier for us to just let them go because mm-hmm. everything will be, um, will be governed by the contractor. Uh, by the contract. And I always tell them, no, that's not the case. And I also tell players, look, you're being treated as an employee. Then you should get the benefits of being an employee. What are these benefits? Security of tenure. You can't just get terminated altogether at any time. Uh, we have to get SSS benefits, right? Pension. For your pension, you have to get big benefits as well. Um, you have the right to unionize if you want to. But since the players don't know this and uh, the teams don't consider them as professional athletes, I don't consider them as employees, all these rights are taken for granted, mm. right? And it just blows up when, an, when a player loses his spot in the team. And right. then he comes up and says, was it, uh, was it a mere termination of a contract because of an independent contractual relationship? Or is it illegal termination because I'm an employee? Right? And we always say you're an employee based on the contract, based on how they treat you. So that's an issue, which I find it's a big issue here where it should be a small issue because it has been established and what do you call it? Um, figured out in other jurisdictions. That's the frustrating part. It, it kind of seems like it's, it's geared towards the teams, right? It, it's the, the, yeah, the deck it's, is stacked towards the team so that they don't have to pay yeah, for all definitely. this extra stuff, right? So then yeah. being as a sports law expert as yourself, if you want to move the needle, so to speak, how do you convince clubs and teams that this is actually a beneficial thing to consider your players as employees? What's in it for them? What's in it for them is that um, they, won't fa- they won't face an illegal termination case mm-hmm. because if you treat them as an employee, then the back of your head is, look, I have to treat this person right. Right, because when you're an employee, labor law tilts to your favor, right? So you're going to be protected, and as an employer, you're going to start protecting the team. And for them, it's just it's going to hurt them. Well, it's up to them how they want to handle it economically, because that's normally the reason why they don't do it. Because right. they say, ah, I don't want to pay for benefits. I don't want to pay for thirteenth month pay. But the thing is, you have to comply with the law. Right, so what we're trying to do now, um, so we have a case now in the Court of Appeals. Um, hopefully, if it does get elevated to the Supreme Court, hopefully we win that case, because if we do win that case, it's going to set precedent in the Philippines that if you're a professional athlete, you should be considered an employee of the team. Right? There was a case before 
um, of a basketball player. Supreme Court already said that he was an employee of the team, right? But still, the um, on the ground, some teams still don't consider their players employees. Right. In fact, that seems to be more the norm than the opposite, it is. unfortunately. It is. It is. Uh, so it is. perhaps empowering the athletes to understand that maybe they should be pushing for, for these sort Perfect. of provisions yeah. in their exactly. contracts uh, might be a way forward. Um, how are you with following Philippine football at the moment? Are you, are you keeping a close eye on how things are transpiring? Well, not, not, as, not as much as I wanted. Um, I, I tried watching some games during the bubble, but my, my schedule didn't permit it. Right. Uh, well, it's a good time to be watching football. Prior to that, it was a single camera from the stands and going panning left to right. It was very, it made for very difficult viewing. But during the bubble, there was a lot of uh, excitement around uh, Philippine football because, you know, not, not only were they able to pull it off in the bubble, but also that yeah. the broadcast had improved dramatically. But there were only six teams, of course, and, and there was only, yeah. what, five games played per team. So it, it, it wasn't a huge season, but it was a success nonetheless because of all the hurdles that needed to be overcome. But now moving yeah. on to the next season, it seems there's some, um, some rumblings that the, your former club might be coming back into... Oh, really? Uh, yeah, oh, into really? the four. Yeah, Loyola um, put out a l- little bit of a teaser on their social media saying that oh, really? there might be a, a return. Um, I think other clubs have also... You know, signaled their intent to come back, and it looks as if you know Philippine football is is, is getting a, a bit of a, a second life, a second wind, so wow, to speak. Wow. Um, I'll, cont- I'll contact Loyola, ask them if they need a unfit right winger. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, right? You never know. James' young husband is retired, so you don't have to worry about yeah. him taking your spot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, yeah, what, what do you what do you think about Philippine football? Obviously, you were there when things were just on the up. Right, 2010, yeah. 2009. Um, what I like to talk about prior to the explosion of the Suzuki Cup was that football was kind of in a dark age. I mean, you, for the yeah. people who played it, you, you knew the people who played it as well. Um, it was a familiar community, but in the mainstream, it was very, very anonymous, right, to a lot of people. Yeah. But after Suzuki Cup, things started exploding. So when you were in the UFL, that was very exciting times. Like you yeah. could see that from 10 people in the stands to like, ooh, there's like 150. Like, whoa, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> there's 200. Yeah. If you got lucky, there was like a thousand people there and you lost your mind. Like, oh my God, football is here. Yeah. Finally arrived. But then sort of it kind of went on a downturn a little bit from yeah. its heights yeah. and then it kind of lost its momentum. And I'd like to, th- like to think optimistically that it's kind of moving back up. But how do you foresee sort of the, the how things have evolved in the in the landscape of Philippine football and also like what do you think is going to happen down the road like five ten years from now well for me I think the challenge ever since was sustainability um, because like I think everyone knows that um, one of the faults that we have as Filipinos or maybe just like humans in general is that uh, we, we push a lot during the start because we're all inspired right because it's exciting it's new and then we just lose our, our momentum going forward. And I think that's what happened, exactly what like what you said. We got super hyped up because of the Suzuki Cup, and then sponsors started coming in, people started watching. Um, and then it kind of dipped because it wasn't as sustainable. Um, so hopefully, though, in the future, it does become sustainable. I'm not sure how that will be. I think a lot of it has to do with the success of the national team. Mm. 
and how and how like the professional teams market themselves. I'm not sure how you're gonna do this um, because I'm like I'm not a marketing expert, but like I heard like in Syria B, they did this thing that they really got the fans engaged and that the social media engagement of the fans in Syria B was even more than Syria A. Hmm. And I'm not sure how they did it, but I think if you start getting people more involved with it, like the casual sport observer, and I think it's going to be more sustainable, right? right? And if it's more sustainable, maybe five to 10 years, it's going to be an upward, upward swing. But I think, What's key here is that the investors stay in for the long term, right? Right, because that I think that's the problem. Um, a lot of teams just fold up, right? Because the investors aren't making money anymore for whatever reason. So I'm hoping the investors stay and see this as a long term thing. Maybe not necessarily to like earn a lot of profits, uh, but maybe an altruistic um, reason to help Philippine football. Hopefully that's that's one of the things. Maybe we can get like Abramovich to come by a team, right, and <laughs> help us um, form like another Chelsea here or something. What well, I don't know. Come on, what about teams? salary cap, Exactly. That's quite interesting that you mentioned that um, you know the success of the national team has been so intertwined with sort of the popularity of the sport as well, and I think um, yeah a lot of the efforts over the last four or five years has been sort of trying to capture that same lightning and put it back in the bottle, but it already escaped. Yeah, so you, yeah. it's, it's like, we need yeah, to yeah. make it, we need to succeed more. Let's pour more money into the national team, but we made it to the Asian cup and it did not translate automatically into people true, being true. crazy about football again. So yeah. I think it might have to be a little bit, as you said about the, the Serie B is, is more of like, learning how to engage fans and maybe not even fans to begin with um strangers and getting them onto football yeah. uh, and, and perhaps yeah. developing yeah. the system of creating strangers into casuals casuals into yeah. supporters and supporters into fanatics right something of this yeah. nature i agree i think um, i think what happened with the asia cup is that asian cup is like we didn't do that well there true and it was like a big pond right but for for a casual observer, you want success, even if it's in a small pond. So what happened in Suzuki Cup, right? It's a small pond. We did well, and we've been doing well in the ASEAN region. So people say, oh, the Philippines is winning. Ang galing natin mm-hmm. football, ganyan, ganyan. And then you bring us to the Asian Cup, and then you start seeing that we're not at par with other teams. And then the casual observer will say, ah, mahina pala, hindi pala magaling. Why, but pa natin sinosuportahan? Right. Right. So maybe it's because they don't understand the magnitude of the Asian Cup. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I think that that kind of plays with the psychology of the support as well. I always had this feeling that until some until the casuals understand like how difficult it is to ping a ball forty yards or how to pass <laughs> yeah. get out of a tight yeah. space when you're covered yeah. by three defenders and you manage to, to, yeah. to, to find a teammate until they start yeah. to appreciate those things, it's going to be hard to get them when we're competing. Yeah. Right. I, I remember in 2000, uh, 2009, 2010, when, when football was started, I mean, it started getting televised because of the Suku Cup. Some games of the Askels were being televised and the commentators, like, they, I don't think they knew the sport that much. All they wanted to comment on was the long throws of Anton Del Rosario. Oh my and God. as like a football player, it's like, 
can we stop with the long throw commentary, right? It's a long throw. Good yeah. for Anton that he can do it. Yeah. But that's not all there is, right? I mean, look at the midfielders, how they turn, look for space. Let's let's comment on that, right? Yeah, exactly. Not on the long throw. So that was really frustrating as a, as a football player at that time. Yeah, it's, it, but I feel for the commentators as well, it's such a difficult spot to be in when there's like, you're being told by your producers, nobody knows anything about True. football. Try to explain True. everything. True. And then, you know, yeah. obviously the people who already know football, they're... They're shouting at their TVs, right? Like, yeah. So it's, it's a tough Yeah, balance. it's a hard spot. It's a hard spot, yeah. Listen, I appreciate you, Mickey, coming on and sharing 45 minutes of your time with me and, and sort of inoculating me into the world of sports law and um, just giving us a bit of a taste at all the listeners of Across the Line as well. Um, I, I, I truly believe that this would be a huge benefit to players uh, just to shape a mindset, so, so to speak, with regards to how they approach their contracts, how they approach clubs and sort of just looking out for themselves uh, because I, I, I really do feel sorry for some of these players who dedicate their lives to the sport and walk away with nothing, you know, because they get screwed over by their employers. So uh, I appreciate you coming on and hopefully we'll get a chance to speak with you. Uh, maybe in the future, if something interesting happens, uh, some sort of issue that we need some sports law expertise, hopefully you'll pick up my call. Sure. Uh, I appreciate I'm game for that. I'm game for that. Thank you so much. And uh, anybody who is into your books should definitely check it out as well. Do you, do you mind like throwing out where people can find you and sort of, um, I didn't get a chance to really speak about your, your writing as well. Uh, you're an author. So uh, please do share with, with our listeners here and across the line. Yeah, so if you're interested in sports law, I, I, we have a blog called Batasportiva. It's in batasportiva.com. Um, we talk, tackle and write about all sorts of sports law issues there and it's completely free. I also wrote a book called Lost for Sports and the Sporty. You can find that online on Rex, the Rex E bookstore or Rex Online. So Rex is a textbook manufacturer. So Lost for Sports and the Sporty. It's a good overview of sports law in the Philippines. And it's not written for lawyers. It's written actually for the casual casual fan or Thank an God. athlete. Yeah, no legalese. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, there are a lot of jokes there. There's even like drawings and stuff. So you can find that loss for sports in the sporty. It's a, it's a. I'll send you a copy. Send me your, send me your address. I'll send oh, you a copy. that would be amazing. That was, that was, I was just about. Yeah, to, yeah. I was writing down the, the website. I was gonna go pick up the book anyway, but I'd appreciate that. I'll definitely send you uh, my yeah, details. Perfect. But yeah, okay, and uh, then if anyone wants to know more, they can follow me on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook. It's at making less law. Right, and it's not just all nonfiction stuff too. You, you, you've been putting out some fiction yourself yeah uh i recently published a book called alinam it's a young adult novel people describe it as a it's like a harry potter meets neverwhere by neil gaiman but set in colonial manila so if you're into that stuff it's it's a fun read it's awesome. I, I like writing it yeah man like okay as if sports law is not enough and running your uh your your, your law firm and, and teaching and uh, writing that doing a little bit of everything i love it uh thank you so much for coming on uh across the line um for the folks that appreciated this conversation please do consider subscribing to the show on youtube spotify and on apple Podcasts. uh find us on social media we're on facebook twitter and on instagram and that is it all for this football friday mickey Gless. um next week we will have somebody new so join us for that one on the next football friday thank you for watching